Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. I'm Ellen Craven, and I lead the Strategy, Insights, and Innovation team at Coho Creative. And I'm Lane Rumke, brand strategist at Coho Creative. On this season of Hunting for Nova Sparkus, we will be exploring the effects of COVID-19 across industries. We will be speaking to experts to understand how their lives and potentially jobs have changed during the pandemic. We will also be talking to them about how they believe this pandemic will affect their industry long term. Yeah, we're hoping through these interviews and conversations, we will be able to uncover insights that will help us innovate for a better post-pandemic future. So on today's episode, we're going to speak with Amanda Pratt, who works at Rumpke Waste and in Recycling. We're going to talk to her a little bit about how the COVID pandemic has really affected her, as well as her workforce. You know, obviously being an essential worker, this is something that's definitely made an impact. So hi, Amanda, I would love to have you kind of introduce yourself and give us a little bit of information about what you do at Rumpke. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. My name is Amanda Pratt. I have worked at Rumkey since 2000, so I'm coming up on my 20-year anniversary. And um, I work in Rumkey's corporate communications department, so I'm the director of communications here. And as part of my job, I get to communicate both internally and externally to promote and enhance Rumkey's reputation. And so with the COVID pandemic underway, um, my job role has has really been kind of taken over by COVID communications, mainly COVID communications to our employees, but also to our customers who have questions. And um, we have information that we need to get out to our customers as well. So for the past, I guess we're going on 11 weeks now, a lot of my team, a lot of us have been really focused on COVID communications. And then outside of that, the Rumpke organization we service Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and West Virginia. And so we have about 3,200 employees and about 1,900 of them are out in the field. Um, so they're operating trucks, picking up residential trash or commercial or industrial trash out on routes. They might be vehicle technicians who are working in our garages, uh, landfill operators. We have 14 landfills that we own or operate. And then we have um, an extensive recycling team. We're actually one of the largest recyclers in the Midwest. So we have 11 recycling facilities and we have people at each material recovery facility who have to do some manual sorting of recycling um, so that we can prepare it and ship it out to manufacturers who make the products into new things. So we have a lot of roles at Rumkey and all of the roles have a hand in supporting the execution of a very essential service. And that's keeping our streets and our neighborhoods uh, very clean and as green as possible every day. But now with a pandemic, it's even more crucial for us to provide that uninterrupted service. So I'm assuming all of your workforce has continued working through this because you're considered essential. Is that correct? That is correct. We we are considered essential and all of our workforce has been reporting on a daily basis. I am very happy to say that we've been very fortunate that our team has remained very healthy throughout this process. Early on, we we 
wanted to get ahead of this and, and be as proactive as possible. So we developed a Rumkey response team, a task force, and that team initially met every single morning to go over employee attendance to talk about the latest legislation relating to our industry, the latest CDC guidance, guidance from the waste and recycling industry, OSHA, just to make sure that our team was well protected and well prepared. Um, and so those meetings continue today. Now they're, um, we've moved them to every other day, but every, I would definitely say that everyday decisions are being made relating to the pandemic and how to best continue service to our customers while making sure that our, our team is ultimately safe and, and we keep them safe and their families safe and everyone well. That's our chief priority. So talking about the procedures and practices that you guys were talking about with your essential workers, like what, how has the day-to-day -day changed for them? Day-to-day, uh, -day, um, if you think about the biggest portion of our workforce, those are our drivers who are out picking up the trash. So initially they would have things like clocking in at a, a touchpad. Well, we have stopped that. Now we've gone back to a manual um, time clock process. There would be um, a situation where they would probably congregate for in-service meetings. Now those meetings can't take place because of social distancing. So we've moved to route supervisors and route foremen having to check in by phone with each person individually. Um, we've also done a lot of things to make sure that our team is able to take time off if they need to. So if they've been instructed to quarantine through their doctor because of an exposure or possible exposure within their household, or if they are encountering childcare issues because of the pandemic, or perhaps they have symptoms and they want to go get checked out, we introduced uh, a new pandemic sick leave, which it gives our employees some additional paid sick time. So that's available to everyone. Also, things like um, truck, we call, we call them gate inspections, and we um, inspect our trucks and, and identify maintenance issues. So that would usually occur um, right every day with someone riding and getting inside trucks. So we've limited that. We're doing our maintenance reporting in a different way. So all of those face-to-face -face encounters or group meetings, those have had to be spread out because of social distancing. Any touch points, we're just doing more sanitation. All of the drivers and mechanics and employees are provided with sanitizer and they have to sanitize their equipment that they touch throughout the day, their trucks and their steering wheel and their door handles, even the trash can on the street. Before they touch it, they can spray the sanitizer on it and wipe it down. And we've instructed customers to do that as well. Drivers always have gloves and safety glasses and safety vests. That all has continued. Um, most recently in the states that we service, there's been a call for facial coverings. So we've made some different options available to our team and we've offered guidance on that. The managers have been amazing. They not only have to do the manual check-ins and the individual check-ins of, of time procedures and shift procedures, We've seen a, a tremendous increase in the amount of trash at the curb. More people are at home, so we're seeing a 20 to 25% increase 
at trash of trash curbside. And I think people are doing spring cleaning. They're not throwing away trash because they're not at work. They're throwing it away at home. So our routes are taking longer. Couple that with the fact that we're getting a lot of rain and it's spring. So there's a lot of extra yard waste. Our team is just, I mean, they've really done a, an outstanding job keeping up with routes and, and staying very, very successful and providing uninterrupted service. And then the office team, we do have a significant amount of administrative people who work in our offices. We have about 60 locations throughout the company. And for those people in the very first initial weeks, we had to, um, our, our information technology team really had to work um, very, very quickly to make it possible for not only laptop users, but some of our call centers and our call center agents to move to remote work environments. And we accomplished that very, very quickly. Within a week, um, we moved, we made it, we made it available for about 800 people to move to remote work environments. And so like other companies now, um, Skype meetings and team meetings, those are the norm. Um, and that's how we, that's how we communicate today. It's, it's different, but we're, we're progressing and we're still getting the work done and we're still servicing our customers and still, we're still, um, hiring people because we need drive, extra drivers to pick up the extra trash that our residents are generating. I think that that stat is the, what you said about the 20 to 25% increase in waste is really interesting because I, that had been a question of mine is with these habits of stockpiling that people were doing in the beginning of the pandemic, like if to finish that, to finish that loop, if it had been showing up on the curve already. So that's a really interesting stat. Yes. And we were seeing it, you know, kind of drop down just a little bit. And what the other side of it that we've also seen throughout the pandemic is, you know, with all the shelter in place orders and the business closures, of course, our, cust our commercial customers are calling us and they're reducing service or suspending service. So while residential was creeping upward, we were seeing commercial creep downward. And so when you think about the volume of trash coming into our landfills, we didn't, uh, I know other, um, I've been asked this several times, we haven't seen this big spike in volume at the landfill because we're seeing less on the commercial side. Now, as the quarantines start to, to go into phase one and phase two of reopening, we're starting to see the commercial business begin, begin to come back at a, in a very slow rate, but it, it is coming back. Do you see any of these changes that have occurred or any um, new practices that you guys have put into place? Do you guys see any of these um, remaining long-term or affecting how you do work long-term? It's a that's a very good question, and it's it's you know what out of every tragedy or negative situation, there there is a silver lining, and I think one two things from from my perspective. One thing is working in this industry so long, I I really see how hard people work in the waste and recycling industry. And I know the importance of the work that they do, but I think sometimes, unfortunately, there's a stigma associated with, with either the industry or the job of picking up trash. And during these times, what we've seen is people 
instead really recognizing our drivers specifically, but also our recycling workers and our operators. And we've seen this tremendous outpouring of appreciation on social media and out on the routes, gift baskets, gift cards. Wow, that's great. Signs. Yeah, so that's, it's, it's been amazing and, and very motivational for our teams. But as far as things that have changed that I think might stay, I mean, we've always wanted to experiment more with people working remotely. And I think we have found that it can be done successfully. I think we've all learned a lot more about how to present professionally on a Teams or Skype call and things that we never t- really talked about before. Um, and I think it opens up some possibilities it, where we were limited on maybe office space at some of our smaller locations, we now know that working remotely in a call center, it, it, it's a possibility. It works. We can successfully do it. And any hesitations or kind of just kind of fearing the unknown about working remotely and if we can make it work professionally we didn't have time to worry about that because we had to move people out of offices because of social distancing. Yeah. And it forced us to embrace that. And I think it's, it's been very positive. Do you think that there will, there will continue to be the appreciation shown for the essential workers? My fear is that a year from now, people will go back to the way they were. Yeah, I'm not, it's difficult to say. I, I don't really know what will happen. You know, from from my position and where I'm sitting as someone who's promoting Rumpke and our team and the work that we do, I'm going to do, and I know my team and, and the Rumpke leadership, we're all very committed to finding ways to shine a spotlight on our industry and the people who make it successful. And we're not going to stop. I think this has just given us a platform to keep pushing that message. So I'm very hopeful that it that it will continue not only for our workforce, but so many other um, essential workers that have been recognized yeah. throughout the yeah. pandemic. I wonder, it's interesting because even just using the word essential now, it means something different. When you say essential worker, there's much more meaning to it. I've just been joking with my dad this whole time. Like, you're finally important. You're finally <laughs> <laughs> And what it's does he true, say? Us, he thinks it's ridiculous, but I think I think how could you not appreciate? Yeah, like acknowledge for the work you've been doing your entire life. Finally, yeah, it's it's so important. Just I mean, if you think about um, just looking back over history, the times in New York City or in other big cities where you know workers have have went on strike or they're not picking up trash, and you see the garbage piled and, and rats in it, and you know. It gets into waterways and other countries come here and they visit our landfill and they take tours of our recycling facility because they want to learn how to properly manage waste because they know all too well what happens when you don't have systems in place to do it well. So we're really blessed in the United States that we have such a great system to, to manage our waste. So, and actually you just hit on something that, that leads me to a, a different type of a question. Do you, do you see the recycling component changing? Is it, is it, is recycling going to change over the next like five to 10 years where we are able to recycle different things, where 
And I don't even know what the answer is, but is that something, I mean, we've come such a long way to where we are recycling and more people are actually doing it and, and, you know, not just doing it, but doing it consistently on your end. How do you see recycling like changing? Well, recycling is always changing. It's, it's very fluid. Uh, the reason that it is, is because for every commodity that we collect, we market to manufacturers. The value of each commodity varies on a daily basis based on market pricing. So for example, with the right before the pandemic in 2017, this shift happened with recycling because so many of the recyclers were selling products to China and China came out with this national sword program where they stopped people from sending stuff to their country. Yeah. And it was mainly the paper and the cardboard. So you saw this historic drop in the value of paper and cardboard and fiber and even plastics throughout the U.S. Fortunately, Rumpke was selling mostly the, to domestic buyers. In fact, 85% of the material that we collect and process is sold right here in the Midwest to manufacturers. So we were able to kind of withstand the market drop for those materials, while others just stopped recycling because it became, it, it started to cost more to process than you could sell the materials for. Now with the pandemic, what's interesting is we've seen plastic prices go down because oil prices have gone down, but we've also seen uh, the fiber prices start to come back up because there's a great demand for fiber because before the pandemic, you were able to get cardboard, big bulk loads of cardboard from the big box stores. And now they're all closed. So yep. you're not getting the cardboard from there. You have to rely on residents to put it out curbside from their Amazon orders and their, you know, their online purchases. So there's a shortage of cardboard and the price has now started to go back up. So that really the supply and demand plays a, a tremendous role in recycling. You talked about the landfill, the amount going into the landfill is about the same through, through the last like two months. Can you tell that more recycling has come in because people have been paying better attention to what can be recycled or have you seen anything like that happen? We have seen about a 2% increase in recycling at the curb. But our overall recycling volume has has kind of stayed steady or, or dropped slightly because we're missing that commercial flow of recyclables. Um, because the, the fiber that comes in from manufacturing, it's a big piece. The other part that's been successful when it comes to recycling, now more than ever, but always something unique that Rumpke does is we, re we still recycle glass bottles and jars. A lot of other recyclers have stopped recycling those materials. But back in 2003, we built our own glass processing facility. So any of the glass that we collect, you know, from Cincinnati, Louisville, Columbus, it all goes to our processing facility in Dayton. And we have strong markets for the glass container industry and the fiberglass industry. And so that's a very successful program. And we've seen it become even more successful right now during the pandemic. So glass, we need more glass, we need more cardboard and fiber materials. And it, like I said, it always changes and we're always researching and working with manufacturers 
to find more ways to sort and successfully process other types of materials. So for example, companies like Procter & Gamble are constantly sending groups through our material recovery facility to learn what we're capable of sorting and trying to, to develop packaging around that. Kroger, um, S.E. Johnson, just a lot of different companies, Coca-Cola, have come into our facilities to really take a look at the recycling process. And then we try to work together to develop the packaging that can be recycled. Interesting. Do you, where do you see that going in the future? Do you see that it's going to be able to, like, I just, I, I keep thinking, like, from a science standpoint, is there something, like, that you think that will come out of all of the, the efforts that are going into understanding recycling and, and how to develop new packaging? Do you see that there's going to be something kind of breakthrough moving forward? I, I think there's always going to be new breakthroughs for recycling to be successful. Uh, I think we always have to keep evolving and innovating and changing. And that does include that manufacturers have to, and recyclers have to work together to develop that packaging. A good example of, of something in more recent years that happened was the U.S. Carton Council. So the juice boxes that everybody, you know, juice boxes, wine boxes, um, broth boxes. So the U.S. Carton Council manufacturers got together and they actually provided grant funding to material recovery facility operators to purchase optical scanners, which optical scanners are machines that we use to identify certain types of material inside our recycling facilities. So we, they helped the processors fund the sorting equipment and then helped identify end users and markets. And so through that partnership, we were able to add juice boxes, to the acceptable item list. I think for recycling to continue to be successful, we have to keep working with communities and manufacturers and users to make it easy, easy to do, accessible to as many people as possible, whether it's commercial or residential. And, and just that we have to constantly raise awareness and it has to it has to make economic sense. I mean, it, it can be challenging sometimes, but for it to work, we have to find a way to make it economically feasible. That's great. Lane, do you have other questions? Yeah, no, I don't have anything. I thought this conversation was awesome. Yeah. Do you have anything else? No, I I really it's for me it's very interesting because it's it, I I love the fact that I mean, Amanda, to your point, you just this is something that just always has to be in the forefront of of innovation. You just always have to be thinking about how to do it better long term. So it, to me, it's very it's very interesting. I wonder if how often you guys have done something where you actually have virtual tours of a facility or education of the impact that's being made based on what you're doing. That those types of efforts would help more people understand why they need to be recycling and you know and in, again doing it consistently because i it's interesting because i see a lot of people that weren't recycling like even five years ago that are today but it's kind of it's kind of like yeah my dad my dad will go through you know my garbage can and be well he used to do this i should say this you can't recycle this you should recycle this what well, like and now i know but most people don't have that happening to them <laughs> <laughs> My husband does, <laughs> but I know what you're saying. It's, it's not, 
We want recycling to be easy, but there are specific guidelines to make it work. So it, it, there is an educational barrier that we're always trying to overcome. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, seeing is believing. So we have um, an education specialist and we do tours every, we were doing tours every week of our material recovery facilities and of the landfill because there's so much technology that goes into and planning that goes into landfill construction and operation. And we really want to raise awareness about that. At the same time, we want people to see how recycling works and why it's so important to recycle the right things. So we started doing the tours and now, like you said, we can't do them. So it's funny that you mentioned the virtual tours because I just had a, um, Two people on my team, one is doing a video about different types of garbage trucks and equipment just for kids. Um, and then another one is doing a Facebook Live session with one of our solid waste district partners in Central Ohio. So she's doing a, a Facebook Live on uh, a recycling tour in Columbus. So it was, that's where we're moving right now is making education virtual so that we can reach people even though we can't maybe see each other face to face, hopefully we can still bring the experience to people in different ways. That's great. I think people now have like kind of a renewed hope of like doing things that are good for the earth and good yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Because of this. So I think this would be the prime time to get that information out there. Right. That's very true. Yes. Well, Amanda, this was fabulous. Thank you so much for taking time and talking to us today. Well, anytime. Thank you guys so much. I'm glad we did this. I, anytime you guys need anything, just let me know. I'm happy to happy to help, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, I want to watch the tour. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Amanda. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at CohoCreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative.